0: The first eight verses we looked at last week and we observed the discussion being about the new heaven and the new earth. And that was a discussion not that there would be a literal reconstruction, uh, reformation or renewal of the earth and the heavens, but that it is speaking about this great relationship that The order and the system of things as they currently exist will no longer be. And what a great blessing it is going to be when the new heaven and the new earth arrive. This imagery of it's going to be completely different. And that's what verses 3 through 8 go on to explain. To show that symbolic language where there's not going to be any more death. That God will comfort His people. Wiping away their tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more grief. The imagery of God at with his people, the people finally reconciled, receiving the eternal blessings and the eternal relationship that we are so longing for now finally being consummated. That was the first half. If you remember, the first two verses describe a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. verses From verse 9 to the rest of this chapter, now we're going to see the new Jerusalem. And so that's what we're going to spend our time uh, talking about rather than reading uh, all of that at once I think I'll depart from that like I usually do and instead uh, read it piece by piece and we'll go section by section and get the imagery uh, of this New Jerusalem so to begin with let's just look at verses uh, well, let's just look at verses 9 and 10 Revelation 21 verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The, the, the first picture here that he begins with is here is uh, this picture of the bride. And notice who is the one that is speaking and telling John what he's about to see, but one of the angels that we saw earlier uh, back in chapter 16 when the seven bowls of wrath were being poured out. One of these angels now comes and says, I'm going to show you the bride, the, the wife of the Lamb. Now, uh, we should already know who is being spoken of even if we didn't have any other knowledge of the New Testament Scriptures because in chapter 19 we were already have seen that imagery that that's the holy people of God. Remember we saw that the bride now has been, been joined to the Lamb And the picture there is that that is the holy people and their white robes represented the righteous deeds of the saints. And so we know who we are looking at. When we see then this bride, this wife of the Lamb, we know that we are talking about the people of God. We're talking about the church. And that's the imagery that's used as verse 10 continues to say that John sees this holy city Jerusalem then coming down out of heaven. That has been used a number of places in the New Testament to describe the holy people of God, to describe this great relationship of God being joined with His people. Uh, like in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31, you have the Apostle Paul making a contrast between the physical Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem, and that the heavenly Jerusalem represents the children of Abraham or the children of Isaac, the children of promise. And so it is representing that here are the faithful, though, who follow God. These are the true Christians. And so when that imagery is used by the Apostle Paul. The writer of Hebrews used the same imagery when he talked about how we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he describes the what consists of that and one of the things that he calls that as to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And that's what we've observed that we've seen in this chapter is that we are not talking about Christians in their current state, nor the church today. We are looking toward that perfected state, that when we are with the Lamb, when we are joined with Him and receiving the eternal blessings, that's how the first eight verses begin. And we're continuing that imagery now of this new Jerusalem, now this consummation of God being able to be with His people the way that it was originally intended. The true reconciliation is taking place. And so that's the beginning point that's given to us with this imagery and we're told a couple of other important points before we move forward verse 10 tells us that John was carried away in the spirit this is an important reminder to us that this is a visionary sequence that we are still in vision when we get to these images about uh, this massive city we should not begin to start pulling up measuring tapes and figuring out how that's all going to fit in Palestine we're still in vision and the other reason that this is reminded of us here is not only to recall that we were in a vision but verse 10 matches exactly what happened to Ezekiel now we're going to say a lot about Ezekiel tonight there's no way for us to study Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapters 48 tonight in sequence with this we'll see how Wednesday night goes because even that is a big kind of enchilada to deal with and talking about that many chapters and it's concert to Revelation but Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 is that imagery of this grand temple that is to be rebuilt and the parallels are very close together and the first parallel begins right here in verse 10 ezekiel is carried away in a vision on a high mountain to be able to see this immense great temple that's to be rebuilt john now is carried away in vision to a very high mountain And now what does he see? This great city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And so the intention is for the audience, the readers, to think, Oh, we're catching Ezekiel here. We are catching many parallels, and we'll see a number of those parallels as we go through the imagery. Let's look at verses 11 through 14 now, as he describes the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the, 12, uh, at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the land. So the next thing that John is to see after he gets this overview of here comes this heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven is the first thing he looks at now is the walls and the gates of the city. Uh, The walls are interesting. Notice the the very beginning description as we see this great city and it is filled with the radiance of the glory of God. In fact, described like the most rare jewel, like a Jasper clear as crystal. There's a lot of different colors and the ancient days of Jasper that this is likely referring to a diamond kind of imagery and that's why it speaks of being clear as crystal imagine though know, the most expensive diamonds in clarity and in that color that brilliance that would be shining here is this this glorious city and it is radiating the very glory of God as if light shining through this diamond in its brilliance and brightness and so along with that, he describes there verse 12, it has this great high wall. Now, For us, we don't have walls to cities anymore, and so the imagery is somewhat lost on us. But recall why you had walls to a city back then, and that's your security. That is your defenses. And the imagery is then pointing out that this city has such high walls that wickedness, that evil, that any unrighteousness, none of that is able to enter into this city. In fact, if you jump down to verse 27, That's exactly what is depicted there When it says, but nothing unclean Will ever enter it Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false But only those who are written In the Lamb's book of life So that's the imagery of these high walls Is that there is nothing unclean There is not going to be some way to sneak in There's not going to be anything inside this city That ought not be in this city And so that's what he wants to to, give used for this imagery with this high walls is to show the security and the protection of the city. And that fits what the prophet spoke of. Isaiah 26 Isaiah prophesied saying in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He set up salvation as walls and bulwark. Open the gates that the righteous nation will keep faith and may enter into it. And that's the idea of the gates is that those who belong they will be able to enter. The true people of God. This is that holy city. Here's the righteous. They are the ones who are inside the city, while those who are wicked remain on the outside of that city. To continue the imagery, notice that the gates have some inscriptions on them. And that fits exactly what Ezekiel sees. He sees there that there are three gates on each side of the city Ezekiel sees the same thing three gates on each side of the city and Ezekiel sees exactly what John saw and that on each of those gates is inscribed one of the names of the sons of Israel from the tribes of Israel and so those are the names that are inscribed upon them and I think that's fairly interesting but he doesn't stop there and suggest to us well this must be some sort of Jewish imagery notice the, the next verse that goes along with that is that the wall of the city has 12 foundations and on these foundation stones are written the 12 names of the apostles and so you have on the gates the names of the sons of Israel so Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah all the way through And then you have the names of the apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all the way through, sing the song, you give it all 12. And so you have all of the names written on there. And I think it's really interesting because this then is conjuring up a, a really special imagery about the foundation of this city. The idea that the apostles are the foundation, which is what the scriptures tell us in a number of places, like over in Ephesians 2, verse 19, when he tells us that you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that's what's being now symbolized or visualized in this great vision now is the base of this great kingdom is here are the apostles and there's the names. They're the base of the great kingdom, the great temple of God. Interesting to bring in the apostles' names and also to bring in the sons of Israel. And I think it then shows us that we are talking about all the faithful. This is not just a New Testament concept. This isn't talking about everybody who is a Christian. This is talking about the faithful of all the covenants. This is talking about all who have been faithful for all time, regardless of covenant. There they are. They are part of the people of God. They are the true ones who have followed the Lord and have obeyed Him. And so that's the representation in talking about this imagery of the gates have been inscribed with the names of the sons of israel as well as foundation stones with the writing of the apostles it is inclusive of all the faithful not any one particular group now look at the measuring verses 15 through 17 shows the measurements of the city verse 15 and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls the city lies four square its length uh, the same as its width And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. He also measured its wall... 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. All right? Well, some interesting things there. Here is an angel now going and taking a measuring rod. That's exactly what happens in Ezekiel chapter 40. As Ezekiel sees this great temple and all of its majesty and great size, and sees the the, the gates and sees it's inscribed by the names of, of the sons of Israel, you see an angel then taking a measuring rod and going about and measuring. the city there from verse 3 through verse 5 of chapter 40. And so here is the same sequence. Now we see this angel who is now going about with this golden rod and is going about to measure the city. Now this isn't the only time we've seen that imagery. Do you remember where the last time we saw this, it's been quite a while back, back in chapter 11. Remember we saw the imagery there of a temple and the angel tells John to measure it, to measure only the temple, but do not measure the courtyard or anything that's outside the temple because that was to be trampled by the Gentiles for 42 months but the temple itself was not and so the picture of the measuring then represents the protection of the city it re- represents how Protected, how perfect and, and in its nature of being secure from those who are on the outside. And so that's what makes sense. That's what we saw back in chapter 11 and is the meaning here as well. He's not going about measuring the city for its destruction. No, this is the, the holy people of God being joined with the Lamb. It is for their security, it is for their protection, just as Ezekiel saw the angel doing for the great temple in Ezekiel 40. Notice then as well, the length and the height and the width are all the same. That's a very strange city. Um, length and width the same? Maybe. Height? No. Uh, height is very odd. <laughs> to have the height to be the same is simply amazing, especially when you get the measurement. The measurement of length, width, and height is 12,000 stadia. Now, you read 12,000 stadium and go, well, what do you mean by that, a few feet? Well, if you have a modern translation, you'll note that that's between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. <laughs> that's really big. Especially in talking about height. <laughs> 1,500 miles up, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles wide. Whoa, this is enormous in size. It is absolutely shocking to me. That people can come into this verse and think that's going to literally exist. This is going to be in Palestine that when Christ returns, He's going to build that. You must be kidding me. We are clearly in a symbol when you read this kind of language. Obvious that this is God speaking of the immense nature of God's kingdom. How great it is. How large it is. How extensive it is. This is not some small city because there's only a few people in it. It is enormous because it houses all of the faithful of God from the beginning of time. And that's what the intention of drawing that up is. Now, What's interesting as well is when you have language like that of equal dimensions, that rarely occurs in the Scriptures. And You might be able to recall the last time any of God's people built a room that was of equal width, length, and height. And that's the Holy of Holies in the temple of God. Only the Holy of Holies had that same characteristic in the same dimensions because it symbolizes God with His people. This is the presence of God. And that's the essence of this new Jerusalem, this city of God, is God is there. That's why the dimensions are perfect and that's why it is shown that way. So it represents all the faithful are there and it represents that God is there, which is what we saw in the first two verses. That's what was told to us in the very beginning of this imagery is that God has been joined with his people. Now this great reunion has come. This is one of the instances where actually a modern translation hurts us, and it's better to keep the 12,000 stadia, even though the 12,000 stadia doesn't do us any good in terms of grasping the size, is that 12,000 is a symbolic number that we have seen before in the book of Revelation. Really scratch off to how far back this goes. Remember the last time we saw 12,000? It was in Revelation chapter 7 where we saw the symbol of the faithful of God is 12,000 from each tribe. And 12,000 times 12 is how you get your 144,000, symbolizing all of the people of God, the perfect number of all of the saints being joined together. Here is all of God's true and faithful followers. The 12,000 does that. It has that symbol of completeness. And so while the translation into modern numbers helps us to grasp the size Good to keep our 12,000 to recognize we're symbolizing a completeness here. And so you see that in its dimensions. You see that in its perfection. You see that also with the use of the 12,000. That's not just 5 by 5 by 5. The 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000 shows this is immensely complete and is certainly sent from God. And so that's the imagery that's given us there, and you'll see there in verse 16, it's the city lies foursquare. We have a song that's kind of older. If you ever have to sing the words, and it says, "Lies the city foursquare." This is what it's talking about, because I think that we're kind of growing up, and we go, "What well, in the world? There lies the city foursquare." And you go, "What?" Right here, it's talking about where we're going. It's talking about this great relationship with God, and is describing our perfect union with Him. It is what we are looking forward to. Verses 18 through 21 then describe the building materials of the city. Notice verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And so the building materials are not shoddy. These are amazing images of the preciousness of the city. To use the imagery that the, the walls are made of diamonds, that's quite a visualization. That's kind of hard to put in your head. That really shows value, it shows expense, it shows brilliance as we saw at the very beginning back in verse 11 of the, the glory of God is being reflected in this amazing scene of, of brightness and brilliance of the walls being made of diamonds and the city being made of pure gold. Well, that's not too surprising either. If you remember, the only time we see something like that is remember Solomon's temple as the Holy of Holies was built, and the temple itself and all that Solomon made was overlaid with gold. Again, that imagery of this is where God dwells. This is where God is. And that's why you would use the such precious jewels like diamonds being the walls to say that the uh, street is laid with gold, as he uses there in verse 21, as well as to say that the city is made of pure gold. It shows that this is where God is. This is where everything is beautiful, where everything is perfect. Recalling what we saw in the earlier verses last week there's not death, there's not evil. There's there's not wickedness. There's not grief. This is beauty. This is perfection. This is everything we long for in being with God. And all of those precious stones amplify that. The long list of 12 precious stones there, it amplifies and says, look how beautiful this city is. Look what it is, to how beautiful it is to be joined with God, to be in a relationship with Him, and how beautiful it will be to experience the great blessings that are going to be received to those who are faithful. And it really tries to drive that picture home with all of the different jewels. There's a lot of discussion, you can pick up books if you want, about, well, why are these 12 stones named? Why these, not others? And some suggest a lot of these stones are the same as the stones that were put in the breastplate of the high priest. And so perhaps there's some representation of that. Fair enough. I don't know. Maybe. Sounds good to me. Okay. I don't know. But I do think there is some representation to what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 54 when he said, Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild with stones of turquoise and your foundations of lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies and gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls of precious stones... And your children, all your children, be taught by the Lord, and great will there be will be their peace. I think that probably has the strongest reference. Is that this imagery that Isaiah says of the people of God are being shattered as the Babylonians were going to come in and destroy the physical city, but one day there's going to be a restoration of their relationship. And to picture that rebuilding was to use these precious gems and stones to say, this is God now rebuilding His people and being joined to His people. And I think that is, at the very least, the idea of why that's used here, is to pull in that Isaiah reference to say, here is God fulfilling His promise of restoring His people back to Himself. The final section is verses 22 through 27, and it's about the temple, or lack thereof, if you will. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter enter it, nor anyone who does, does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Very interesting. You come across and go, no temple. What's what's really, I think, surprising, at least to me about that, is Ezekiel's whole vision from chapters 40 to 48 is about this immense temple. And now we come here and we have, well, there's no temple now. But the reasoning why is amazing. Because... The Lord and the Lamb, they are the temple. It pictures for us direct access to God, direct fellowship with God. There's no need for an intercessor now. There's no need for a go-between. Whereas like back under the old covenant, you needed to have the priest to go between you and God. For us today, we need Christ as our mediator to go between us and God in intercession. But then... There's no need. We will be in direct access with God. And there we will have this great picture then of there's no need for temple. There's no need for any of those things. There's nothing that stands between us and God. We get to be joined with Him. Jeremiah pictured the same kind of imagery. Jeremiah 3.16. Jeremiah said, And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no no more say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. And so you have a picture of what would initially come with the arrival of the kingdom of God in the first century and then projected into perfection then at the very end, just like Haggai chapter 2. And verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. That there in Haggai probably has the most direct reference to what's going on here if you noticed it you see here in in verse 24 you have the nations are walking by the light and they are the ones who are coming in verse 26 they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations and so Haggai seems to have his best finger on that same imagery of the nations coming into the holy kingdom of God. And this is also pointed down in the New Testament as well, like Acts chapter four, verse eleven, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. He's the temple. The Lord is the temple. He is where we will go and we will be joined with Him. And we can bring him Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 that we looked at earlier, the apostles and prophets being the foundation, Christ is the cornerstone. Same imagery being used right here to describe the perfect nature of this city. Look at some more of the imagery here. Look in verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. Well, that's kind of hard to think about. That's, that's really amazing. And if you sit back and think about how bright the sun is and what that does for our day and night, there's no need for sun or moon any longer. The glory of the Lord is just going to be that picture. To always be before the throne of God. To always be in front of God's glory. Again, driving home to us There's not evil. There's not wickedness. What a perfect situation this is for the true people of God. I think Isaiah touches on this as well in Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun will be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall your moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God. Will be your glory. So looking again, this projection to how great that's going to be. And then the nations are going to walk by its light as well. And Isaiah spoke of that as well. And I have the scriptures there from Isaiah chapter sixty. The nations walking by the light, and that I think pictures for us, everybody can enter. This isn't just simply offered to the Jewish nation. Anybody who will come to the Lord, they have the opportunity to receive these blessings and and be in this great relationship and the glory that it is presented. And thus that's why the gates are never shut. The opportunity continues for all the people to join the lamb, to come in into this fantastic relationship of being his children. Verse 27 is the the startling conclusion to all of this after painting such a beautiful picture of what it is to be the true people of God and what this relationship looks like and to use all of this imagery of high walls and massive city, to use precious jewels and stones, to speak of diamonds glimmering, all of these things to represent the glorious nature of being with God. To conclude in verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, and none who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, a reminder, only those who obey the Lord while on this earth now, they are the ones who are participating in this glorious outcome. Remember what happens to those who are detestable or false? We saw that back in verse 8. Of chapter twenty one. As for the cowardly, the faithless, detestable, the, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What a contrast. Okay, here's your choice. Would you like to be in the place that burns with torment, the lake of fire and sulfur? That's the second death or this massive immensity with all the gold and the gems and all of that. It's trying to draw an imagery contrast. You have the choice. Be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and look what a grand relationship it is. Again, This is not describing location. This is as much as we do in the first day verse. It's not geography of when we get to heaven, I expect to see a big wall that's going to have diamonds running up it for 1,500 miles. No, this is talking in symbolic language of look at how awesome this relationship is, what it will be to truly be in the presence of God in the land. How awesome that will be in contrast to here's how awful it's going to be to be cast in the lake of fire with all of the rest who are not written in the book, and so it's using this vivid language to say that I can't picture it any better, but to use all of the the glory and beauty of this world and paint it as being with God, and just multiplying that imagery, it doesn't get any better than being in a relationship with God. And so that's what he leaves us with. It is the glory and the blessings that we will enjoy when we are in full fellowship with God in that age to come. Here's what we are looking forward to. Here's the great blessings that we will receive. Remember, this is a message of encouragement to those Christians who are in the face of persecution. They were going to be tempted to turn away from the Lamb under such strain and difficulties. Here are these words. It's going to be worth it. Do not give up on God. Be faithful unto death, and you will not be hurt by the second death. Instead, you will be participate in this great honor and privilege of being joined with the Lamb. Put your songbooks up. We'll sing the invitation song.